0: I'm still reading scripture. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, I'm still reading. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 13-17. Faith comes by hearing message of the word of God. I know you're going to have people, you're going to have relatives that say, oh, I don't believe all that junk. All that Bible stuff. That's okay. You were like that one once upon a time, weren't you? I was. I don't believe all that junk. But mom and dad kept taking me to church. So believe it or not, you're going to church and you're going to hear. And you can sit there in your stubbornness and close your ears intellectually, but you're going to hear the spoken and the preached word. And when I heard, I heard in the inner ear of the Spirit as God opened my heart. That's the way people are saved. Second observation. Elder John exhorts this Christian wife and mother to stick with what she has been taught and what she has experienced. Look at verse 5. Dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that you have heard from the beginning. Oh, wow. I like that. From the beginning. You know, sometimes when things don't move fast enough for us, we start looking for something new. Something else to try. Believing, as we do, that maybe a new proposition may just be the impetus our unsaved family members need to free them from indifference and apathy to spiritual issues. And I think Satan loves this. Satan comes along and he says, Preach the novel, the new. Abandon the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Try psychology. Hum a new tune. Something, uh, you know, more cordial, less indicting. Modernize your worship. Ditch the sermon. Or at least gut it. Of all references to sin and judgment. And hell. Like Joel Osteen. Whom I heard say. Himself. That he deliberately. Does not preach on. Let me give it to you again. Sin. Judgment. And hell. (coughs) Because in his words. We. Want to be more uplifting. And have an uplifting message to people. And. uh, His implication was that to preach on these negative things is a downer. So I'm not going to preach on those things. John, however, is saying something totally different to this woman. John is saying, stay the course. Don't ditch anything. Verse 5, love one another. Verse 6, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands and as you've heard from the beginning his command is that you walk in love i'll put it this way if salvation were if if salvation wore rather many faces if it wore many faces there might be some justification for changing the message to modernize the gospel appeal. Indeed, we are being told that the old gospel has outlived its usefulness. People will say, well, there was a day when preaching on sin and judgment and hell would have wooed, maybe even scared people into repenting and coming to Christ. But people are, they're more sophisticated these days. They need a more general approach, more reasonable. You know, you can reason with people. You don't just have to preach at them. You you can reason with them. I was watching the evacuation of Houston's tremendously flooded areas. One neighborhood started out with two feet of water and the first responders we're having difficulty convincing people to evacuate even though they were told, hey, you know, just the other night we got 44 inches of new rain, all of which is yet to swell the rivers, the lakes, the reservoirs. And still people thought, eh, we can tough it out. <laughs> we, we're okay and they refused to leave. They implied, well, we're intelligent enough to make a reasonable decision on what to do or not do. That's the way they thought. Finally, the first responders changed their message. They stopped trying to reason people into accepting the great danger they and their families were in. Instead, they told it like it was. The boat is about to head for drier ground. You can stay here and die if you want, but don't call us because this is your last chance to get out. And one responder handed a magic marker the people standing there, and they said, well, what's that for? He says, this is to write your social security on your arms so that we'll be able to identify your kin when we find your corpse floating in the body of water. Whew. Brethren, that's telling it like it is. Suddenly, <laughs> the frankness of the truth shocked people to the core. They scurried in the house, packed a Quick bag of clothing. And off they went in the boats to safety. Do you know this about truth? That truth is objective. It's absolute. It's not what you think it to be. It is what it is. In every dimension of life. And God is unflinchingly true. He will not candy coat the unpleasant realities to gain a wider audience. And wonder of wonder, God's truth, tough as it is, will set you free from anxiety and depression and despair. It takes us from the shaky, sandy ground, and it fixes our feet on the solid rock who is Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. And then here's a third observation. I look at this text. We have the wife. We have the mother. We have the children. But where's the husband? Where is dad? Say what you will about the Puritans. But when they landed on the shores of America, it was the men who established the homes and organized the government and built the churches and the schools and structured a militia to defend the homesteads of the nations. Oh yes, the women too had their role, very needful roles as helpmeets. But it was the men who took the lead in family, farm, government, and the worship of God. Now, it may be that this dear lady, as she's called, verse 5, is a widow. We have to allow for that. There are many widows, named and not named, in the scripture. But uh, there's also the other possibility. As was the case with Timothy's father, who was a Greek, who never showed any interest in spiritual things. Timothy was raised in the things of God by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. And that pattern has been duplicated thousands of times in the cultures of the world. The women are the ones who take spiritual matters seriously and the men dismiss such and they have no time for God. Why? Well, they're too busy making money and climbing up the corporal, corporal ladder as though material Things were the reality, the only reality that there is. How foolish to be so single sighted. Men need to broaden their vision beyond good providers. And yes, God wants you to be a good provider. But why must we have a broader vision? Because Jesus' words are true. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist... In the abundance of his possessions. That's why. And he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself. "Hmm, What shall I do? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said. Oh this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, you know, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things, things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Luke 12, verse 15 and following. Obviously, God is not against us making money, He's not against us providing for our families, but He is against greed. He is against a never-ending insatiable appetite for more. Give me more. I want more. Paul put it this way. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Colossians 3 verse 5. I bet most people haven't even thought of greed being idolatry. But there it is, black and white. Again, he writes, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Because people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8 and following. Great lesson. Happy with what you got. Now, that brings us then to some warnings to heed in this hostile, God hating world. The world is populated with many deceivers who deny Christ. And they're preaching their message. They think they're preachers. They think they're advocates of the Christian philosophy. Well, what is it that they deny? Verse 7. That Jesus Christ has come... In the flesh. Every generation of Christians has its own spiritual battles to fight. Did you know that? In our day, the battle centers around the deity of Jesus. Because people are saying, oh, you know, he he was just a man. Oh, yeah, he was a good man, but nothing more. He lived an exemplary life of righteousness. He gave us a moral code of excellence to live by. But there was, eh, there was nothing divine about his person. He died. He was buried. His life ended in the horror of crucifixion. But that's it. It's ended. Yet this was not the heresy faced by this lady and her family in John's day. In John's day the spiritual battle was not over the deity of Jesus. But rather over his humanity. His coming in the flesh. There in the text verse 7. These people fully believe that Jesus was God. But. Don't feed us this line that he was God in the flesh. He cannot be flesh because flesh is evil. Flesh is weak. Flesh is temporal, not eternal. Flesh is tainted with sin. God cannot be associated with sin. This was the Gnostic era of the day. The Gnostics took their name from one of the words for knowledge in Greek, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. So they said, well, we're the Gnosis people, we're Gnostics. And what did they believe? They considered all things, all things material as being evil. Only Spirit is good flesh is material so flesh is evil it never occurred to the Gnostics that God as creator was responsible for all things material how would they get past that one let me read it for you God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. Whoa. Genesis 1.31 and following. Those who deny that Jesus was God's son come in the flesh. John calls them the deceiver and the antichrist. And so we have to fight for Jesus' humanity as well as for his deity. If Jesus was just spirit As the Gnostics claimed, how then could he die and give his life as an atonement for man's sin? I'm a man. i got a flesh and blood body. How could he even represent man if he were only spirit? They hadn't thought through all this. But we need to think through it. Taking on a fleshly body is part of the gospel message. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. Well, one of the... uh, subsects of the Gnostics was the Docetists and they also took their name from a Greek word meaning to seem. and so when they read first Peter they said well Peter's just saying it seemed it seemed like he had a body but it was really not our flesh and blood that isn't what Peter says he bore our sins in his body Isaiah foretold, surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You need all those healed words in that text. Stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced. Crushed. Wounded. It's all in reference to the body. The body. An actual human body. Observe John's caution in verse 8. Watch out, dear lady, watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone uh, who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 8, verse 9. Sometimes you will run into well-meaning but misguided people who think they need to help God out. We were talking about this in the adult class. They reason this way. You know, all this talk of crosses and crucifixion and torture and death and shed blood, that's too terrible a portrayal of a loving God who would not allow this let alone ordain it for his very own son uh, uh, this is so uh, this is so beneath the dignity of god and so it cannot be possible that god himself ordained this for jesus therefore jesus was simply the victim of jewish conspiracy and roman indifference sad as it was That's it. Now, of course, you would have to deny the biblical testimony of Jesus' own apostles to come up with this. (laughs) But then again, they think they know best what happened, and the apostles got it wrong. This is the Gnostic arrogance. We are the ones who know. That's what their word means. Gnostic. We know. We're knowledgeable. We're the ones who know. You would do well to accept our wisdom in this matter. Observe, however, that John tells this lady and her family, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 9. It's possible for a person to outsmart God all the way to hell. All the way to hell. The liberal theologians of the turn of the century fall into this category. They denied the deity of Jesus. They denied the need for a blood atonement. They denied the existence of hell. And many, many other truths. Fully documented in the book. In the scriptures. And we might ask. Well how could they do that? They began by denying such texts as. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. And useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. And training in righteousness. So that the son of God so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or again, what Peter wrote, We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 and following. Now once a person disavows the integrity and the sanctity of the Bible, they are ripe for arrogance, self-deception, and ruin. Paul writes it this way, although they knew God, (laughs) they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, there's your Gnostics again, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made like mortal man. We know what we know. Oh, yeah. And birds and animals and reptiles. Romans 1 21 and following. They became idolaters. We learned last week behind every idol is what? A demon. They exchanged the immortal God for demon worship. The second point that we need to learn here is the importance of holding fast to God's word once delivered to the saints. Verse ten and eleven has been um, has upset a lot of people when they read this. If anyone comes to you and he does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house. Do not welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Did you know that God considers erroneous teaching about his son Jesus to be wicked work? If it's erroneous, it's wicked. Verse 17, verse 11, excuse me. Verse 7, he calls these people deceivers and antichrists. Did you know that if you carelessly imbibe false teaching because you're a lazy student of the scriptures and you don't work at being discerning and cautious and critical, but all-inclusive, oh, come, welcome anybody, who uses God words to teach. If You welcome them into your home and into your life. You share that person's wickedness. Verse 10, verse 11. Hard pills to swallow. You can't be little sweet. bomb bombs to everybody that comes your way. You have to be discerning. You have to be able to call a spade a spade. You have to be able to say, "Ah, no, no, no. What you're saying is heresy. Can't believe that. Can't follow that. I'm not doing that. Well, you're not being loving. No, but I'm being biblical. And I'm following Christ, my Savior. Oh, and if he would reject you, I'm on his side. The truth about Jesus and salvation are not up for revision. They're not up for human tweaking and the like. God has spoken. Our task is to hear and to believe and to obey. And John is saying to this lady, hey, don't be sidetracked by those that come your way. In fact, As a woman, you're going to be prone to hospitality. Open up your home. Come on in. Have dinner. need a place to stay. John says, don't do that. Don't do that. Be discerning. Because there's many deceivers and antichrists out there. And they just love nothing more to gain your ear be able to feed you something different than what you've heard. May the Lord give us the same spirit of discernment because we live in an age, we live in a culture where Jesus is on the down. And demonology, astrology, astronomy, spirits, channeling, that's on the up. Demons are on the up. Jesus is on the out, we need to be wise. Thank you, dear Savior, for giving us the scripture. Thank you for John's writing. Yeah, he's the elder. He's the old man. We want, maybe people want to denigrate him for that. You know, but he's been around the block a few times. He's not new. He is not new. To New Age philosophy. He's tried and true. He's been refined in the fire. The dross has been burned away, and what is left is pure gold. And that refined gold, he is able to say, This is error and this is truth. Stick with the truth. Lord, help us to do the same. We honor our obligation to obey your word and your truth. Men's souls are at stake. What are we going to do? Tell them fairy tales? Bedtime stories that are light and pleasant? Or are we going to tell them the truth about sin and judgment and then remind them that there's only one way to glory, and that's through Christ and his wonderful self-sacrifice. Help us to speak the truth in love and may much fruit come from, from it for your glory and the people that we speak to for their good. In Christ's name, we ask these things. We plead these things. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal once again, 406. Stand as we sing, 406. Let's stand. Andrea, come and lead us. Notice the first line, wonderful line: "My hope is in the Lord, who gave Himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary." Amen. Let's sing. sing that probably in the next hour jesus paid it all i like that for our communion service but we're going to take a 10 minute break now so that uh, you can uh, use the bathrooms wash up and then uh, join us back here in 10 minutes when you hear the music and we will gather around the lord's table on the first of september we're dismissed